Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, you know what this music means. It's time for another amazing, fan-tabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 84, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it's not live because it's a podcast. We are back, people. It's been four weeks since we have signed on here on these Sundays, but football season is back, and we are back here for this express reason is why Wired Up was created in the first place, because we had an epic college football weekend. Now, theoretically, since there's no NFL on Sunday, we could actually do the podcast, you know, on Monday, but Wired Up is what this was designed for. So we might as well get back into the Wired Up habit because every single Sunday from this point on out, like we were doing from the first weekend of 2020 through about July of this year, every single Sunday we will be hitting you with these Wired Ups here on the Believe Podcast Network. And as much as we made so many jokes last week about the Nebraska-Illinois game being the biggest moment of the college football weekend, I think this was the anti-week zero because, oh my lord, I have not been so excited about college football since I was a high schooler, which was three years ago, granted, but I have not been this excited about college football since the magical runs of Row the Boat in UCF and Minnesota again and Clemson and... Tungavailoa coming into the playoff against Georgia. Not since those moments have I been so excited about college football than I was over the weekend because, well, I guess the weekend's still going on. You still got a whole day left on Sunday, but Saturday was freaking awesome. And we're going to talk about Georgia and Clemson, and we're going to talk about LSU and UCLA, and we're going to talk probably on memes of the weekend about how Washington paid $675,000 to lose to the University of Montana. We're going to talk about all that stuff, but we're obviously going to start with Gus Johnson because of all the great things that happened this weekend, the return of Gus Johnson was the greatest of the weekend because Gus Johnson technically could qualify as a meme of the weekend because Gus Johnson at this point in his career basically is a meme. I mean, Gus Johnson is the commentator for people who love being rebellious, for those who love counterculture. He's not the stuffy commentator of Jim Nance and Tony Romo or Mike Tirico or Ald Michaels. He is the fun commentator. And while professional, Gus Johnson is extremely professional. Gus Johnson is the fun commentator, and he stole the show this weekend multiple times. One, during uh, an Ohio State-Minnesota game on Thursday, he was telling a story about a player for Minnesota who was solving a domestic dispute and ended up getting shot with accidental gunfire the previous offseason. But the way Gus Johnson described it was like this. Here's a young man that was shot in the face. 
trying to break up a domestic dispute. Sound is courtesy of Fox Sports, and even Gus Johnson can make thing make things that are dark like that just unbelievably funny. Just by the way he calls it and says it like it is and has so much passion and flair in his broadcasts. I love Gus Johnson as a broadcaster. And he stole the show with my favorite moment of the entire weekend. And the weekend isn't even done yet because it's still Saturday. And it's going to be the greatest moment of the weekend. And if not, I'll come back in Monday and do memes of the weekend even better than that. But Gus Johnson during the first time that Wisconsin after so that Wisconsin hasn't had football games with fans since 2019 and they have a tradition at Wisconsin where they play the song jump around and 100,000 people sing and jump and rock the stadium and almost break an old 100 plus year stadium every time they do it but it's 100,000 people jumping up and down at the same time and Gus Johnson starts doing the dance in the club like where you just kind of like move your arms a bit but you're like kind of into it uh the joke I made is like when you take your dad to a hip-hop concert is kind of what it looks like and Gus Johnson stole the show with this joke as he went viral on Twitter and I urge you to google Gus Johnson jump around right now find it on Twitter it's an amazing video um I can't if you're listening to this on the Sunday check out uh, Comical Sports Instagram. You can find it on our story if you're listening to this the day that it was released. So that was the moment of the weekend, but there was a lot of cool college football that I actually want to talk about semi-seriously, not taking ourselves seriously. It's much more fun to laugh at the University of Washington for paying $675,000 for Montana to beat them, which I will probably mention at least three more times on this podcast before we're done. But... We do want to talk about Clemson, Georgia, the game that Gus Johnson was calling Penn State and Wisconsin, even though it was 0-0 at halftime, was so freaking intense. I could feel like my chest thumping the entire final 45 minutes of that game because it was just craziness. And the last two and a half minutes were like unlike anything I'd seen and forgotten how crazy college football can be over the last like nine months. Which, it, like, it wasn't even as crazy as that Clemson-Notre Dame double overtime game from last year, but it was still, like, I'd forgotten just how ridiculous college football and football as a whole can be when they had the ball at the one-yard line. Wisconsin did, sorry. Wisconsin had the ball at the one-yard line, down 16-10, to two and a half minutes to go. Penn State was, like, going to let them score to save time and timeouts because they only needed one point to win after that and the reason they needed the one point was because their kicker hit the upright on an extra point that put him up by should have put him up by seven but instead only put him up by six and so his first and goal at the one and Wisconsin fumbled the ball on the exchange on the the handoff to score the go-ahead touchdown Penn State was gonna let them score fumbled the ball recovered at the eight yard line now it's second and goal at the eight Penn State's using their timeouts Wisconsin turns the ball over on downs because Wisconsin can only move the ball two yards at a time for some reason on second and goal at your own eight they decided to run the ball and you know if it happens in the NFL because I have a rule never ever run the ball on second and ten under any circumstances ever um 
in the I would have like just yelled at them for that, but I just expect it from Wisconsin. Wisconsin moves the ball four yards at a time. Jonathan Taylor's gonna like have the rushing record because he's gonna run the ball four hundred more times than the next closest running back. He's gonna get nine hundred carries for about two thousand yards. Monty Ball did it before him. And then he did it for four years. Now they've got another guy whose name I forgot now, but he's actually one of the better running backs in college football. It's a whole mess. And I just come to expect it that on second and goal at the eight, Wisconsin's going to run the football for two yards. Um, it's the old, uh, I believe it's Lendell White joke, which is like, if you need two yards, I'm going to get you four. If you need six yards, I'm going to get you four. That's basically Wisconsin's offense. We're going to get you three yards no matter what. We're going to move it three to four yards at a time, and we're going to score touchdowns 12 plays at a time. We're going to be like one game out of the playoff, and we're probably going to lose, usually to Ohio State, but sometimes they like to make it happen early, like losing to BYU or losing to Iowa or something like that. So Wisconsin ends up blowing it. Penn State gets them the ball back with like a minute to go, no timeouts. They get 40 yards on two pass plays where Penn State just decided to not guard the sidelines for some reason and got a 15-yard hands-to-the-face penalty. So now Wisconsin's got the ball down at the 30 with like 40 seconds left to go, and then they threw an interception on the last play of the game trying to score from inside the red zone. It was super intense for a Penn State-Wisconsin game, but Penn State ends up winning, and Bomani Jones had... One of the tweets of the weekend, we'll get to more of them once we have the talk about the University of Miami against Alabama, but Bomani Jones had one of the tweets of the weekend, which is that nobody wins more games where the fan base wants to fire the coach at halftime than James Franklin. James Franklin is like always down at halftime against the team he's supposed to beat. The fan base wants to fire him, and then all of a sudden he comes back and wins. Basically, he's the new Gus Malzahn, because the joke about Gus Malzahn is that he was always one game away from being fired, and then he would win the game, and then they would give him a contract extension, and then he would be mediocre for about four years, then win another game when his job was on the line, and get another contract extension. Felt like a trend for like eight years with Gus Malzahn, but now that he's fired at Auburn, I suppose James Franklin is now the new Gus Malzahn, so... That was a fun game. That was actually probably my favorite game of the weekend. Well, other than laughing at Miami. Laughing at Miami and laughing at Washington. Those were my two favorite things of the weekend. Washington, of course, as I've mentioned before, paying $675,000 to lose to the University of Montana. And the reason that was the most enjoyable game of the weekend for me was because Georgia and Clemson played like shit. Just gonna say it like it is. It was a fun game. It was a close game. No excitement. Actually, I'm not even going to say it was a fun game. It was not fun to spend three and a half hours watching Clemson and Georgia, even though it was a top five matchup and probably the best matchup of the entire college football season. It was a shitty game. I will just put that out there. Maybe I'm entitled. Maybe I had too high of expectations for this college football weekend, which was awesome, by the way. It was just awesome except for the main course, which was supposed to be Georgia and Clemson. I got I got my pickings. With Penn State and Wisconsin, it was a flooding of football euphoria. Felt like an NFL Sunday. Then I got to laugh at Miami for a while. That was a fun game. And then the main course, you know, appetizer was good. The soup was fantastic. 
And then we got to the the main course, and the main course was just a complete disappointment, which doesn't sour my love for the day because dessert dropped right on top was also Washington paying $675,000 to lose to the University of Montana. And you know how much I love sugar. Maybe we haven't talked about this before on the podcast. Not a, not a big coffee person, but I am absolutely obsessed with sugar. My sweet tooth is beyond apprehension right now. It's pretty much an addiction at this point, I think I would say. Um, which is a great way to lead into Georgia and Clemson talk because... I'm just going to read stats real quick for you right now. It's a segment that we like to do during the NFL season a lot, which is called Reading Box Scores. It's a boring segment, but you know what? It's a fun segment. So DJ Oyungalale, the quarterback for the Clemson Tigers, finished the game with 19 of 37 completions, which is slightly over 50%. I think it's like 52%. Um DJ Oyungalale completed 52% of his passes for 178 yards, which is an under 10 average, zero touchdowns, one pick six, zero sacks, and a quarterback rating described by Bleacher Report as the trash can emoji. So, really bad. And I would attest watching the game that the statistics that are Tebow-esque still don't do justice of just how bad DJ Oyungalale truly was for the Clemson Tigers. Because it was rough. It was rough to watch DJ try and play until the fourth quarter where they slowly started to show signs of life. And by the way, Clemson, who traditionally has like three, four first-round wide receivers on their team, now obviously Amari Rogers is now gone, and Travis Etienne, who's a running back, has graduated, but... Justin Ross, 26 yards. Braden Galloway, three catches, 13 yards. Joseph Nada had 110 of the team's entire 178 passing yards. Oyungalale carried the ball 14 times for negative 22 yards. As a team, Clemson had a grand total of two rushing yards. Two rushing yards as an entire team which was totally unexpected now Georgia's defense hats off to you they were like Alabama-esque Georgia's defense was unbelievable in that game and yet I am my biggest takeaway from this game is just how poorly the Clemson Tigers played in that game because it was a really, really bad performance. And so I don't really see any reason why Clemson should have won that game. And I really, realistically, if it weren't for Clemson's defense playing pretty well and forcing some clutch three and outs when they had the poor field positioning that game could have been a big blowout. And Clemson doesn't play in big blowouts all that often, which ironically, they've now lost two games in a row since Dabo Swinney said uh, Ohio State. We don't think 11 seeds should make it to the college football playoff. And ironically, they've now lost to Ohio State and Georgia in that time frame, which is low-key unfortunate for Clemson. 
Um, but this is these are cycles that we didn't expect coming into the season. And I thought Clemson was going to win the game by multiple touchdowns because basically taking for granted that Clemson and Georgia, or I'm sorry, Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State, and to an extent Oklahoma, but specifically those three programs are just winning wagons in college football, that they just keep winning over and over and over again, and that parity doesn't exist in the sport because they've changed the game and other coaches haven't evolved fast enough to compete at the levels of those programs. Now, every now and then you get an Auburn that beats Alabama, or you get a Purdue that pulls a crazy upset against Ohio State, but Nobody's really caught up to those standards other than the rare fluke victories. It's those three programs, and then it's everyone else. And that didn't happen for Clemson. And part of that is the strength of the opponent that they played. Being Georgia, one of those second-tier schools right below them, made the college football playoff before, almost won a national championship, consistently making it to Sugar Bowls and playing teams that are dejected and don't want to be there. Uh, it happened one year with Texas, and then it happened to, or no, they were the dejected team against Texas, and then I forgot who they played last year, but they were uh, they were the one who took advantage of a dejected team, I want to say. But Georgia sometimes is the dejected team that just misses the playoffs, and then they can't get up for a bowl game. So Georgia ends up whooping up on Clemson. I know the score was only seven points, but that's because Clemson's defense had some clutch stands on their own side of the field where field positioning in the first half was basically just a, like uh, Dabo said at halftime at those like halftime press conferences that don't mean anything. Um, Dabo said that like the, the punter was the MVP so far for Clemson. It felt like for like the first half, it was like Clemson had the ball at their own 10, punt to Georgia's 35. Georgia moves it to the 50, punts to Clemson's 7, moved the ball to the 16, punted to Georgia's 35. It felt like Georgia had the field positioning battle, but then nobody was really moving further with first downs after that. It just felt like they kept trading back and forth for like 10 minutes. And then Clemson started moving the ball down the field, and then they threw that wonderful pick six. That was the only touchdown of the entire game. There was not a single offensive touchdown between Clemson and Georgia. It felt like a throwback to the 2010 season where LSU and Bama played number one and they went to overtime and the final score was like 10 to nine. So felt like a throwback to that, like the offensive revolution in college football was dead in some way, shape or form. But I guess for Clemson, it was, it was shock. I mean, we knew coming into it that Clemson theoretically would struggle with not having Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, who had been their quarterback and running back for the last three seasons. Like, there would be a real growing pain in not having that stability on offense. And they lose Amari Rodgers, too, which is a pretty big part of stability as well. So, yeah, you lose those guys. And, yes, you get Justin Ross back. And, yes, you have five stars and four stars coming in to replace them. Especially DJ Oyungalale. I'll say his last name. DJ Oyungalale, who was a five-star recruit, <laughs> was the number one recruit at the quarterback position in 2020. And, or I guess, what would that be, 2019? No, 2020. He was the number one recruit in 2020 and could went to Clemson, just could have gone anywhere, went to Clemson. Bryce Young was, I think, number three, and he chose to go to Alabama. Like, that was the peak programs getting the peak quarterbacks. And DJ chose Clemson, and 
you know, lost to Notre Dame in his first start last year, but played pretty good. Like he wasn't, I think he was the weak link, but it was like Notre Dame was so talented. And unfortunately, those are the only two sample sizes we have for DJ is that his first two college starts come against Notre Dame at Notre Dame, who was undefeated at the time. No, I think Notre Dame had one loss maybe, but was, no, Notre Dame was undefeated at the time. And then Georgia, a top five team. So you get two top five teams in your first two games as the starter at Clemson. And Clemson's going to run through the ACC, probably go undefeated, win the conference title. They don't have margin for error now, which is a problem, but they'll be a, a one-loss conference champion most likely uh, and or two-loss conference champion, which should probably be enough to get them into the college football playoff. And DJ will have those growing pains to, to whoop up against North, uh, North Carolina State or to whoop up against Boston College. Sorry, Walter, if you're listening to this. Or to whoop up against Syracuse or whoop up against Louisville. He'll get those chances throughout the season. It's just unfortunate that those two came in in the first two games. But despite like the transition into the first two games, and then, of course, we're going to talk about Bama and Miami next. And you could point to what Bryce Young did to Bam, or to Miami, a top 15 team. Obviously not Georgia, but still a top 15 team. You could point to what Bryce Young did against them and say, well, there's the, the machine humming like we all expected they would when everyone picked Clemson and Alabama to win, except for those poor souls who bet Miami minus 18 and a half. And when we thought Clemson was going to win the game... We didn't expect not only that they would lose the game, but they really didn't have a chance at all, and that DJ would look really bad. Like, I know I said 19 for 37, under 10 yards of completion, no touchdowns, and a pick six, the only touchdown of the entire game, but it was really bad. Like, it was, like, the stats don't even do justice just how bad DJ Oyunglele was in that game. Like, it was bad for... Uh, for Clemson and for DJ and maybe there's a pivot down the road and he'll get those growing pains against the lesser ACC teams obviously they I guess expect DJ will be the quarterback for the next two years at Clemson and so these are the growing pains that they can get through now he lost to Notre Dame last year Uh, he's going to come in and probably well he lost to Georgia and then they'll get an easier schedule the rest of the way but it's a tough way to come in for DJ with an 0 and 2 start when Trevor Lawrence only lost one non or Trevor wait Trevor Lawrence lost no conference games his entire time at Clemson only lost two games total in his two and two plus or three basically three seasons at Clemson never lost a single game in the regular season and now DJ has dropped Notre Dame and Georgia tough break not that it's totally DJ's fault. The Notre Dame one certainly was a toss-up because it went to double overtime. It's not entirely his fault, but DJ played really bad. And the defense technically held up their end of the bargain to try and keep the team in it. So the easiest one to point to is growing pains on offense and a, uh, a rude awakening by getting crushed by the University of Georgia. I guess Alabama and Miami time. 
Honestly, I, I said that Penn State and Wisconsin was probably my favorite part of the weekend, and Georgia and Clemson was the main course, so of course it's important. And of course, the University of Washington paid $675,000 to lose to the University of Montana. But I think my favorite part of the weekend was laughing at the University of Miami. Because the best possible outcome was either Miami got to fight against Alabama, and that would be tons of content around it, or Miami would just get the doors blown off of them and we could laugh at it and make content around that and get to laugh at the, the best kind of beef where there's teams that have expectations, just slight slight enough expectations. Uh, we talked about it before with the Broncos and the Giants and the Bears. It's perpetually mediocre teams that have just enough of an expectation. And we joked about that with Nebraska in college football, and I think Miami probably fits the bill as well, although Miami is not perpetually mediocre. Miami is perpetually average, uh, and they are cursed by the worst plague that exists in all of sports, not just college football, in all of sports, uh, and that plague is the ACC Coastal, and the ACC Coastal is just the worst thing in the world. We saw it on Friday. Uh, North Carolina was ranked number 10 in the country. They have a Heisman Trophy favorite. Uh, they were potentially... Going to get a shot at Clemson with maybe one loss to try and compete for the college football playoff. They were going to be this year's Wisconsin. And in true North Carolina fashion, which is also true ACC Coastal fashion of any team that has expectations in the ACC Coastal, they lose a game to Virginia Tech. Sometimes it's not Virginia Tech. Sometimes it's Virginia. Sometimes it's Duke, who, by the way, lost to Charlotte this weekend, and they are well on their way to a 2-10 season. And sure, it might be Georgia Tech sometimes. Sometimes it's Pitt. But the ACC Coastal will always find a way to disappoint you whenever there is some level of expectation. And who are the two teams that had expectation? The University of North Carolina and the University of Miami. And those two get to be the two biggest losers of the weekend, right up there with the University of Washington and Clemson and LSU, who got low-key smacked by UCLA, which I was surprised by because UCLA has been so bad at football over the last like five to eight years. And UCLA built up a nice little program for themselves. And uh, they smacked LSU. But the the thing about it is that it's not a, a fun upset because of what's happened at LSU and how LSU sold their soul to win a championship. But I was just surprised that LSU, like, kind of low-key didn't put up a fight against UCLA like just kind of got outplayed by a team that is like a seven or eight win team in the Pac-12 this year and I was surprised that LSU is not a seven or eight win team in the Pac-12 like this could be a long season for LSU as they try and figure out what's next for their program as they potentially go on probation and uh, I guess it's a it, to make light of a really awful situation and for those um, we've been following this story for years now, really going back years of LSU and sexual harassment and a culture of hiding problems within the school in an effort to put the best football team forward, which a lot of people do. It's just LSU did a lot of selling their soul to become great at football, and now they're suffering the consequences of that, both in players transferring and COVID seasons that led to them having a bunch of opt-outs and all kinds of crazy stuff that has 
led to uh, an inve- a criminal investigation at LSU and multiple lawsuits and restructuring the athletics program and Ed Orgeron. To make light of the situation, I guess it's good that uh, LSU didn't give Ed Orgeron that lifetime contract that Joe Burrow was suggesting that he should get. So, anyways, LSU, tough loss. Not going to be the person who gloats about it because of how poor the situation is. And it doesn't do me any good. doesn't do the survivors any good. LSU just loses at football. They get to be mediocre. On a lighter note, let's laugh at the University of Miami. There's no good way to transition to that. But the University of Miami was playing an Alabama team that had to replace five first-round picks on the offensive side of the ball. And they did that. They replaced Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, and Alex Leatherwood. And they scored 27 points in 15 minutes and were up 27-0. Bill O'Brien, in his first drive as offensive coordinator at Alabama, scored a touchdown in 2 minutes and 53 seconds. Because, of course, he did. Anyone who goes to Alabama just magically gets turned to gold. Bill O'Brien will have a coaching job at some point here in the near future. Maybe at one of those college programs, maybe at LSU. But Bill O'Brien is going to have, I mean, Bill O'Brien already was the heir apparent to Joe Paterno at Penn State. Might be a match made in hell if he ends up going to LSU. So Bill O'Brien's on the rehab tour. Alabama whooped up on the Miami Hurricanes, who had the. I guess this is a, a steal of meme of the weekend, but I think uh, one of the best memes of the weekend is. Uh, University of Miami turnover chain. Uh, I'm saving some of the good content for memes of the weekend for Monday, but uh, they had the turnover chain come out when they forced a fumble of Alabama that then went to replay review and was overturned, and uh, they were down 27-0 in the second quarter and had to put the turnover chain back, and they did not get to use the turnover chain for the rest of the game. Uh, Miami lost by 31 points, I believe. Let me make sure because I stopped watching towards the end. Yep, they lost by 31 points, and Alabama put the backups in at the end of the game. So the fourth quarter was a three in three quarters. They lost by 28 points, um, but really in in two a quarter and a half, lost by 27, and then the rest of the game was just like running clock to get to the end. So wasn't even like Derek King played bad. Derek King was 23 for 30. He had 179 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions, which is average. But at the very least, he completed over 70% of his passes, which is a victory for Miami, even in an absolutely awful defeat that is going to haunt them for many, many months now as they uh, try and look at the program now and say, where are we? Because... Yes, North Carolina lost in conference, and now you might be the favorites in the absolutely shit ACC Coastal. And yes, you do have one of the Heisman candidates at quarterback who's going to have some wow-type moments this year, who, by the way, is older than six of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year, including Tua Tungavailoa, Mac Jones, and Jalen Hurts, the three Alabama quarterbacks that happen to be starting now. So Derek King's going to have some of those highlight moments, but Miami is also in the ACC Coastal, which means they're going to lose a home game to Pitt, or they're going to lose a game against Virginia, 
They're going to lose a game against Georgia Tech. It happens to the best of the ACC Coastal teams. They won't lose to Duke. Duke is terrible this year, so they at least have that working for them. They play North Carolina in like one of the last games of the season, which was projected to be like a battle to see who's going to play Clemson for the right to play in the Orange Bowl. And now Miami finds themselves rudderless at this point. Didn't really put up a fight. Angry fan base, dejected fan base, and a 31-point defeat against Alabama. And getting like kind of embarrassed. Like when when you get embarrassed like that, it's it sucks. And Miami fans were going in there. My I I mentioned the Bomani Jones tweet about James Franklin, but I think my favorite tweet of the weekend was probably my man Kevin Clark, who is a NFL writer for the Ringer, and he does a cool podcast and. I feel like Kevin Clark would be someone who enjoyed a 15 to 20 minute podcast segment or maybe even a whole podcast about the fact that the University of Washington paid Montana $675,000 in order to beat them on their home field and ruin their entire season and maybe their rebuild. But Kevin Clark had the tweet of the weekend. He's a University of Miami guy and he said it's a great weekend to cover an 18 point spread with a photo of Sebastian the Ibis, who, by the way, his face just looks annoyed by the University of Miami program. There was a great photo of him on the sidelines. Like, his face already looks dejected, and the fact that they were down, like, 18 at that, or no, they were down, I think, 27 at that point. I think that was 27-0 when Sebastian was on there, but... Uh, the photo of Sebastian the Ibis in the 90s, what holding what appears to be either a flare or a Glock. I can't really tell, but it looks like Sebastian the Ibis is holding a Glock while saying it's a great weekend to cover an 18-point spread. So I think this was like a measuring stick thing for Miami, and the fact that they got laughed out of the building probably sucks. It's probably not fun to be a team that gets laughed out of the building against the University of Alabama. You at least like to think that you're closer than you actually are and maybe have a hope of getting to the conference championship game, which maybe they do because North Carolina just made their life easier by losing the opening game to Virginia Tech, which by the way, I never knew this about Virginia Tech, but whenever like the players run out of the tunnel, everyone sings along to Enter Sandman by, I want to say Metallica, but don't get mad at me if I'm wrong about that. Old 80s and 90s radio heads. Like, if, if, I know that like 50% of our listeners are under 28, but if I was wrong about Metallica, I apologize. I am, uh, I am not of that kin or that age, but... The University of Virginia Tech, well, I guess it's Virginia Tech University. It is Metallica, by the way, so I was uh, I was correct. I feel a little bit better about myself. But they uh, do enter Sandman when the team runs out on the field, and literally, like, I was watching it, I was like, ooh, that is, like, tingle down my spine type of shit. <laughs> that was actually really cool, and I never knew that it existed. I also didn't know about the jump around thing at Wisconsin, which was also kind of cool. Like, uh... I know it's 100,000 people and probably a lot of them aren't vaccinated, but it was still super... Well, actually, no, University of Wisconsin probably requires vaccinations for students. So probably a chunk were unvaccinated, but uh, still, I think it was probably cool to see that. And this is the weird like give and take that we have. I've been to all-star games that have 40,000 people. Like This is the give and take that the pandemic is 
messing with a lot of people and questioning moralities and all stuff like that. But I thought those two things were pretty cool. And I like those little like chill inducing things because it's emotions. Emotions feel good. And uh, it's part of why sports are kind of cool is that sappy stuff that we get kind of excited about because it's tradition and it's it's a feeling you can't experience anywhere else and you need to feel it in person. But even through the screen, I could feel that one pretty palpably. What the hell else happened this weekend? Oh, Oklahoma almost lost. That was super interesting. <laughs> Oklahoma, like, Tulane, like, made a late comeback. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> I did not peg that to be a uh, a, a drive-back moment for... Uh, did not anticipate a, a massive comeback type of moment for Tulane going up against the number two Oklahoma Sooners. But Spencer Rattler looked pretty good. I'll give him credit for that. Oh, I forgot to talk about Bryce Young. We were going to talk about that. So um, in terms of actual analysis, so Bryce Young was the kind of anti-Oyungalale. Bryce Young had taken like 15 college snaps prior to that game and came in and had 350 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, near perfect passer rating for Alabama, completed 27 of 38 passes, like just utterly dominant, broke a couple of records for a first start at Alabama. Like Bryce Young looked totally awesome. And it's what we expect DJ Oyungalale will look like once he gets a chance to beat up on some lesser teams. He'll have 300 yard, four touchdown games um, against inferior opponents, which relatively speaking, Miami isn't that inferior of an opponent. But they do represent kind of like an above-average ACC team. And above-average to medium ACC teams are what Clemson's going to be playing literally the entire rest of the season until the college football playoff. So it does reflect more so what Oyungalale is going to look like against a, a tougher opponent. And so Alabama, you know, they've got Florida in a couple weeks, which is going to be really great. And then they have to go to Texas A&M, which I think could be a, a big upset. If Alabama's going to lose one this year, I think it's probably at Texas A&M. Um, and other than that, you know, there's not much else that's really hard for Alabama because the rest of the conference isn't that good, and they don't play Georgia this year. Like, they'll go, you know, they play Ole Miss at home. They'll play Tennessee at home, who they'll beat up on. They'll play Arkansas at home. They'll play at Auburn, but Auburn's in a transition phase. LSU at home, and LSU just got the doors blown off them by UCLA, which means LSU's a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. So Alabama does have their hard games coming up here, but the way that I thought Clemson would win against Georgia, maybe not roll against Georgia, but just like show that Clemson is still significantly better than Georgia, the way I thought that was going to happen did happen for Alabama and Bryce Young looked super impressive and I don't know what his draft stock is for 2023 but him and Oyungalale I imagine are going to be tied at the hip over the next couple years because of the same class and they're Alabama and Clemson and those are the two premier programs in college football along with Ohio State who has this dude CJ Stroud who barely won the starting job so they don't have someone who like jumps off the page as a star and all of that was Really interesting, but as everyone else in college football looked like they needed a tune-up, whether it's Oklahoma almost losing or Iowa only Iowa State, sorry, Iowa State, Iowa beat up on Indiana. Like Indiana looked terrible with the quarterback whose name makes people snicker because it's Michael Penix. 
and it's Penix, but people like calling him Penix because Penix sounds like penis, and that's funny. Iowa beat up on Indiana, even though they were ranked about the same, but everyone else kind of needed a tune-up. Iowa State played Northern Iowa, only won by six points. Oregon played Fresno State. They were tied right up to the end. And then uh, Oregon scored a touchdown and that super freak of a human, Kevon Thibodeau, who might be the number one pick in the draft and might be the best defensive prospect since Chase Young. He ended up having a strip sack to early on in the game. And I think he had a pressure or a sack to close out the game or something like that. But he was super freaking dominant. But Oregon got a scare before they play Ohio State next week. Um, Texas was scared against Louisiana, but they ended up pulling away towards the end. Um, there, uh, obviously Washington lost after paying Montana $675,000 to come play them and beat them, which is of course strange, but, um, it was one of those weird tune-up games. So a lot of people needed that little tune-up to get the season started. And, uh, Alabama did not. Alabama opened up a can of whoop-ass on their opponents. Same thing Mississippi State, which Mississippi State might not be that good, but they only beat Louisiana Tech by one point. It's not looking that great for Mike Leach so far. Uh, Mizzou almost lost to Central Michigan, but Mizzou's kind of average. Sorry, Mizzou. Hope for good things for you, but you are kind of average. Nothing personal. Oh, Purdue beat Oregon State. That's kind of good. Just reading stats now. They should probably stop doing this. This is not very good radio. Just me or podcast because it's not radio. It's a podcast. Not very good content. Just me reading off scores at this point and saying catching up on meaningless college football at this point. Probably probably not the greatest content in the world. But you know what? We're doing it, aren't we? We're 40 minutes in. We're kind of tired. Kind of tired, I guess. But we we are getting back to the rhythm here. This is the wired up time, ladies and gentlemen. It's... It's the season all over again, and this should be really, really fun as we get going. Getting excited about Bill O'Brien and Duke's Mayo and all kinds of weird stuff that college football reflects. Uh, by the way, also, we'll, we'll save some, we've saved some of the good stuff for memes of the weekend. So we'll be back at you tomorrow with another edition of the Take It Easy podcast. And we have those episodes Monday through Friday, of course, as we get into the swing of things for the 2021 NFL and college football season. Even if this might have been the best of the best of these college football weekends, this is exactly what Wired Up was originally created for. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to Wired Up, and we'll see you on the flip side. Talk to you again on Monday with some memes of the weekend, which we might make a recurring segment, still waiting to see. We leave you here today with Gus Johnson's magical call of Penn State's game-sealing interception against the Wisconsin Badgers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.